Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Hello, welcome to this week's edition of Energy Weekly. I'm Sylvia Pfeiffer. Joining me in the studio today is Javier Blas, our commodities editor. And on the line from Baku is the FT's energy correspondent, David Blair. Just two topics for you today. One, oil markets and what's happening in Libya. And the second topic from David in Azerbaijan, um, looking at whether the country can help Europe to break its dependence on Russian gas uh, with the development of the um, Chardonnay's field out there. Um, so our first topic today, Javier, I just wondered um, if you can bring us up to date as to what's happening on the oil markets. You had a story in today's paper that several OPEC members um, have also increased production following on from Saudi Arabia. A, what's that done to the price of, of oil? Uh, and B, why are they doing it? Is their sort of move now with an OPEC um, as a whole to increase production, or is it just some members? Well, as we speak on Tuesday, oil prices are down about a dollar down, but they're still very high by, by historical standards of Brent. That is probably the more representative uh, global benchmark is still trading uh, around $115 a barrel. Uh, Saudi Arabia increased production to compensate for the shortfall uh, coming from Libya, where production has dropped from a pre-crisis levels of about 1.5, 1.6 million barrels a day to about 500,000 barrels a day. That's a, a three-quarters drop in oil production. And so, as I said, Saudi Arabia has already increased production, but we understand that behind, behind the scenes, other countries are joining us, are joining Saudi Arabia, or are in the process of joining Saudi Arabia. I, I think that the, the ramp-up in, in production is starting to happen as we speak, and it will take still several weeks and probably is going to be visible uh, uh, at the beginning of April rather than immediately. But so we have Kuwait, the United Arab Emirates, and Nigeria. The three, the three are increasing production right now, and, and the, the volumes are going to be evident by by April. At least that's what industry sources are telling us. And um, uh, for sure, it, this is not only a policy decision to compensate Libya. We have some oil fields that they are coming out of maintenance in the case of Nigeria, so they're going to mean higher higher production coming in April. And also, it's a realization by um, uh, Kuwait and the UAE that demand was a bit stronger than expected and they have been already moving that, that new oil uh, into the market before even uh, the Libya crisis started. Um, and is there, is there consensus then within OPEC um, that there should be more in increase in production or are there some, some, some members who, who are not so keen? There's absolutely no consensus whatsoever. Indeed, it's a, a huge split within the, the, the oil cartel. Uh, we have Libya um, uh, that obviously is not a, a part in the, in the discussions right now, but the Secretary, the Secretary General uh, of OPEC, Abdullah El Badri, is himself from Libya and has been absent uh, absolutely from the market for the last three weeks. He has said absolutely nothing. We have requested several interviews and all have been declined. So he has yet to speak on what is his views, not only about the situation in Libya, but also about the oil market. So I think that that's one of the problems right now facing OPEC, that the leadership is from Libya. So that's making uh, the negotiations a, a bit more difficult and also the communication with the market. But more importantly, uh, the, the, the president of OPEC, and every year OPEC has a different president, it rotates are, 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 are among the, the members, is Iran. And Iran is 
absolutely opposed right now to a production increase or even to have a special meeting, an emergency meeting to discuss whether an, a production increase is necessary. Is that because they're happy with where the prices are? They are very happy where the prices are. Uh, also, Iran is having some difficulties to sell his oil because it's, it's a low-quality oil and it has been some issues through the sanctions of uh, the US and Europe. Some countries are unwilling to take Iranian oil, so that's making Iran very difficult to sell more oil. Also, uh, Iran cannot increase anymore his production, so it means that any upside in terms of new production is not going to benefit him. So it is very happy to, to have high prices. Algeria appears to be in the same camp, also uh, very uh, reluctant to increase production, so it is uh, Venezuela. On the other side, we have other countries, including Qatar and Kuwait, that now are on the record saying that they want to have the discussion, and that indeed there are consultation among the ministers whether OPEC needs to call an emergency meeting or not. But um, even the Estatuto of OPEC allows the meeting to happen by simple majority, a previous consultation between the President and the Secretary General. Uh, my understanding is that OPEC will prefer to act by consensus on this matter, and at this moment there is no a consensus either to hold an emergency meeting or absolutely no consensus whatsoever to increase production as a group. Right. Um, and what's, what's happening on, on the ground in Libya? I mean, um, have, have the rebels, who now controls most of the sort of main oil installations? Well, it's changing every day, but uh, the Raslanov oil refinery and terminal, the refinery is the largest in the country and the, refi- uh, the terminal is the, the second most important, has changed already twice uh, between the rebels and the, and the government of the, of the troops loyal to Colonel Gaddafi twice over the last week. So it's a very fluid situation on the ground. Production is coming to a halt uh, already. The, the country pre-crisis was pumping around 1.5, 1.6 million barrels a day. Production has collapsed to about half a million barrels a day at the moment. A lot of countries are refusing to buy any crude oil of the little that the country is exporting because of the sanctions. But, However, some oil is still being exported and is being paid, so the money is still flowing to Gaddafi. It's obviously a, a lot less than it used to be, but with prices at... Uh, $115 a barrel, just a million barrels of oil that is the the usual size of a tanker is still $115 million, more than enough to keep the battle going. And sorry, who's who's buying this oil? Well, we have seen some European oil companies. OMB of Austria was one of the ones that we saw last week. And we have seen also Chinese and Indian companies. We have seen uh, China, Unipec, that is a trading hub of Sinopec, sending a a tanker. We'll see if they are able to buy or not, but the tanker is, is in position. But the main problem right now is that the fighting is happening around the oil refineries and oil terminals. We have seen heavy fight around Raslanov, including uh, the use of warplanes and, and dropping bombs around the terminal. So far, the installations have been not damaged, but as a trader was telling me over the weekend, when you mix weapons, guns, and oil, it's a, it's a combustible situation. Uh, you, you, you only need that uh, a grenade goes on the wrong side of the road. Instead of hitting uh, a military target, it could hit a pipeline. It could just trigger a, a fire, and fires have the, the, the propensity to expand very, very quickly when we are talking about oil. So the market is very concerned that with all, all, all this fighting going on around Libya oil, ref, oil terminals, uh, just the, 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 the chances of an accident happening, even it's not a, a, just a specific targeting of the terminal, but just an accident, uh, it is increasing by the day. And at the end of the day, we could have uh, damage on the installations. Right. And just finally, just in terms of the markets, I mean, you mentioned earlier on that, that the price of Brent crude had come down. Um, given that some of these OPEC members are making up the shortfall for Libya, um, 
is, do, are you sort of expecting sort of a calmer period now for the oil market? Or I, I think that probably we have seen the worst on the oil market for now. But obviously, uh, we are saying this as we are speaking now on Tuesday. It could have, it could, it could change dramatically over the next few days as a some installations could be damaged. Uh, the unrest could spread to other countries in the Middle East in particular, and obviously we have coming in on Friday a day of protests in Saudi Arabia that the market is going to be watching very, very carefully. And also, um, uh, you know, the noises, the proper noises from OPEC for an increase in production could just be withdraw and, and maybe the, the hawkish camp that prefers high prices could win the battle. But I think that some members of OPEC have realized that prices approaching $120 are absolutely against their interest and they're working very hard trying to provide more oil into the market to try to calm the situation. But still, it's a very fluid situation and headlines of a fire on one of the oil fields in Libya or a fire on one of the terminals, and that could be very very well happening because there are actual military fighting happening very close proximity. Andrew England, our correspondent inside Tripoli, was telling me that he has seen actual fighting happening just less than two kilometers away from the oil terminal Ras Lanouf. It just the, the, the situation is very tense and at any moment something could go wrong and then we can see a big spike in oil prices. So uh, on a fundamental point of view, things are at the moment beginning to change to the good because OPEC is making more oil available, but still we have to remember that this actual fighting happening on an OPEC member country which produce a lot of oil. Okay, thank you very much. We'll keep monitoring that situation. Uh, David, if I if I can come to you now, you're you're in Baku, um, Azerbaijan's capital, um, on on the Caspian Sea, um, which which is obviously quite an important um, potential source of, of of oil and gas, particularly gas um, for Europe. Um, just wondered um, if you can sort of give me a bit of the background as as to why you're there, and obviously there's there's a bit of a, a crunch decision coming up in the next few months on various pipeline routes from the Caspian to Western Europe. Yes, one of the biggest gas projects in the world is underway um, uh, uh, just a few miles from where I'm sitting now, offshore in the Caspian Basin. Uh, and this is the second phase of the Shah Deniz field, which uh, will cost about $22 billion to develop and should eventually produce 16 billion cubic meters of gas every year. That's from 2017 onwards. Um, the big question is, where will that gas go? Uh, which customers will it serve and how will it get there? Um, and, and there are quite a few um, potential customers, I guess, for the gas. I mean, in Western Europe, which at the moment relies uh, very heavily on, on imports from from Russia, is, is obviously very keen. Um, and, and Russia itself, I think, is, is, is very keen for some of the gas. Is that right? That's right. Europe really wants this gas. Um, the idea on the table at the moment is that of the 16 billion cubic meters, six of that will go to Turkey. And then 10 of that would go on to, uh, to, to the European Union. And the idea is to reduce the present dependence that Europe has on Russian gas imports. Now, the figures on this are quite striking. You have some countries in the EU, like Britain, for example, which depend very little upon Russian gas, scarcely at all, in fact. But then you have countries like Finland and Slovakia, which get 100% of their imported gas from Russia at present. Uh, and they are looking for an alternative source. And the idea is that Azerbaijan, with the development of the Shardanis field, could be that alternative source. But the great difficulty, of course, is geography. Um, there's a huge distance to traverse to bring that gas to, to the right markets. 
Uh, and that means that uh, a hugely complex pipeline would have to be built. At the moment, there are three main competing pipeline routes on offer. And it's very unclear which of those will go ahead. Well, how do they sort of compete? Is it is it depending on, you know, which country they go through, um, you know, who the end customer is? I mean, you know, if you had to sort of identify the sort of key factors uh, that, the, that the people making decisions on this that we'll be looking at. There are three key criteria. Uh, the first is cost. The second is capacity. And the third is route. Now, if you take um, the biggest pipeline on offer, this is the proposed Nabucco pipeline. That is very costly. Um, The last estimate for the capital expenditure required to build it was 7.9 billion euros. And that estimate is two years out of date. And people believe it will probably be revised upwards later this year. Um, The capacity of Nabucco is also extremely big. Um, It's 31 billion cubic meters a year. And if you remember, the amount that Azerbaijan would supply would be about 10 billion cubic meters. So Nabucco has rather more capacity than you could actually fill at the moment. Uh, But Nabucco's great advantage is that it has the best route. It would take uh, Azerbaijani gas into Turkey and then from Turkey up into the Balkans and directly into Eastern Europe. In other words, directly to the countries that need it the most, which are at present the most heavily dependent on Russia. The other competing proposals are much cheaper, much simpler, much more modest, um, and have a capacity that's much more in tune with what would be on offer from the Chardonnay's field. Uh, but the routes that they presently adopt are not as favourable. Right. And, and who holds? Who, who makes the ultimate decision? Is, is it the consortium that um, that runs the Chardonnay's uh, field, or, or is it the Azerbaijani government that will have the final say? Well, when it comes to the construction of the pipelines, that will be decided by the various participants in the various consortia that are proposing to build them. Um, So they will take a commercial decision on whether to build the pipeline based upon the supply contracts, which the pipeline uh, will try and sign up. As for who gets the supply contracts, when it comes to Azerbaijan, the decision will uh, almost will largely be in the hands of Sokar, the state uh, oil and gas company here. Um, and just in terms of timing of all this, I mean, 2017 sounds like a long, long way away. I mean, when are we hoping to, to, for some sort of decision on, on the pipelines? Well, Nabucco's partners say that they will have to make a final investment decision at the beginning of next year if they're going to build the pipeline on schedule and have it ready to meet the Chardonnay's two volumes when they come on stream. Um, so this is going to be the crucial year. This will be the year when the main decisions are taken uh, and when the supply contracts for the various competing pipeline proposals will either be agreed or not agreed. Thanks very much for that, David, um, and, and talk to you when you get back. Um, and that's all we have time for this week. Um, thanks again to David for joining us from Baku and also to Javier Blas in the studio. Thank you for listening and goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.